I'm really glad you're here this morning. Excited to continue week two of our series called Hope for the Long Haul. Uh, last week we heard from Pastor Ron from the book of Job. Just some amazing reminders about how God is in control, about how God's word is reliable, and about how God is gracious to us in times of suffering. And before we jump into our text for today, I would love to play a game with you. Um, and it requires your participation. Not really, but I would encourage you to participate because it's kind of fun. What I'm going to do is put a super zoomed-in, close-up picture of an object on the screen. And uh, it is your job to try and guess what it is. And you can just turn and, and tell the person next to you what you think it is, and we'll see how many you can get. But it's it's going to start out easy, and it's going to get progressively more difficult as we go along. Sound good? Let's begin. Tell somebody what you think it is. Oh, that's okay, Tara. You can tell me if you want to. (laughs) It is, you're right, yeah. Yep, that was pretty easy. Uh, Let's go to the next one. I think I heard it from a lot of people. Um, That is an apple. It was an apple stem. I didn't know they were hairy. (laughs) It's kind of strange. Let's go to the next one. Get this one? I didn't know, this is an Oreo, by the way, but I didn't know that Oreos were also hairy, if you saw that (laughs) on the close-up picture. It's a a little bit disturbing. Um, Okay, let's go to the next one. Getting a little harder now. Let's see what it is. There's a razor. Heard it from somebody over here. Uh, let's go to the next one. This is, a, this is a little trickier. A little tougher than the others. Definitely tougher than the pencil. All right. That's a wrench. Yeah, that was a wrench. Uh, and then we have one more, I think. And this one is probably the hardest one of all of them. Bell pepper, right? Wrong. It is actually the... Uh, Lid of a Coke bottle. Now, that one's really difficult. I, I guessed bell pepper the first time I saw it, uh, and I was wrong, too. But no, that's actually the super zoomed-in lid of a Coke bottle. It's not easy to guess with some of these. It's not easy to guess the big picture when you're just given a small section of the picture, is it? And you might see where I'm going with this, but this is life for us. We're only given small sections of the picture. We're only given small glimpses of the picture. And oftentimes we're left wondering and guessing what the bigger picture is and how those small sections that we walk through in life, how those could possibly fit into this bigger picture. And uh, this Hope for the Long Haul series is we're talking about uh, what it looks like to live with hope through the road of life, through the journey of life. You see on our graphic there we have a road that uh, is winding through the mountains kind of and and uh, that's, what, that's what life looks like for us, bends and turns and hills and valleys. Sometimes that's what it looks like. Other times it looks like that same road, but you're driving it at night with no headlights, wearing a blindfold, going backwards. And that's what it feels like a lot of the times too. Because there are a lot of times we don't see the road ahead. We can't see the turns. We can't see the hills or the valleys. We can't see the next section of the road in front of us. And that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be in those times of wrestling, of of wrestling with uncertainty with the future, of wrestling with uh, the waiting with where we are right now, and wrestling with the not understanding 
of not understanding how where I'm at right now fits into the bigger picture. And we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk this morning, if you want to turn uh, in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under one of the seats in front of you, uh, or the, the text will be on the screen as well. Pastor Ron last week was able to cover 42 chapters of Job in, uh, in his time, but I'm a much less experienced teacher than Pastor Ron. So Habakkuk has three chapters, and uh, we're going to make it through all three, so buckle up. Just to give us some context to the book of Habakkuk, uh, we know that Habakkuk was a professional prophet. This is what Habakkuk did. Uh, they think that he was either the kind of prophet who was trained and studied in the Mosaic law, or he was the kind of prophet who worked in the house of worship, as we know that chapter three of this book is actually a prayer of Habakkuk that's written to be sung. It's written for the director of music to be sung in corporate worship. We know the dates of when this book was written. Um, scholars say this book is easier to date than most because it describes the invasion of Babylon into Judah, which was a major historical event. So this is, uh, this is what this book talks about. So they would date this, um, I think it's around like, uh, like 601 to 596 or something BC, if you like dates like that. Um, and it's in the year of King Jehoiakim's reign, or the first five years of King Jehoiakim's reign. If you're familiar with the, uh, the kings of Israel and Judah and the history there, there were good kings and bad kings. There were kings that led the people back to the Lord, and then there were the kings that led the people away from the Lord. And Jehoiakim was a bad king. He was the king, one of the kings, who led the people away from the Lord. He led the people into evil and uh, all kinds of stuff. And the nation is in turmoil, and that's where Habakkuk is writing from. And what we have in this book is a dialogue between the prophet Habakkuk and God to where Habakkuk gives God these two complaints. God responds twice to Habakkuk, and then chapter 3 is Habakkuk's response to what the Lord has told him. So that's kind of the roadmap of where we're going to go today. We're going to look at these first two chapters. We're going to look at Habakkuk's first complaint and then the Lord's answer, his second complaint and then the Lord's answer, talk about what we can learn from those two chapters, and then we'll close in chapter 3. But can I pray for us really quick before we jump into the text? Lord, we're so thankful for how gracious you are. And just all those songs that we sang about how one day we know that we will see the enemy run. We will see the victory come. And God, we pray as we look into the book of Habakkuk today, as we look at what we do in the times of wrestling with the waiting and uncertainty and anxiety. God, we pray that you would just reveal more of yourself to us. That you would deepen our faith this morning as we study your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's jump into Habakkuk chapter 1, where we see Habakkuk's first complaint. It starts in verse 2. It says this, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. So the main part of his complaint we see there in verse 3, is he says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Habakkuk is looking at the world around him, at all the injustice in the land of Judah, and he's saying, God, I have cried out to you. How long am I going to have to keep crying out to you before you will do something about this? And as I read these verses, I couldn't help but think about the parallels between some of the things mentioned in these verses and the world that we live in today. If you look at some of the descriptors that Habakkuk uses as he talks about 
what is going on in Judah at the time. It talks about there being strife and conflict everywhere. The strife and conflict abounds, that destruction and violence and the injustice, that the wicked hem in the righteous. I think there's a lot of similarities between where Habakkuk was and where we are today. If you think about the violence that we're surrounded with, not only in our nation, but around the world, and the needless taking of life that happens, and not just the violence and destruction, but also the injustices that we do to each other, the fact that the third largest criminal industry is the trafficking of people, that 12 million men, women, and children are enslaved around the world today, the fact that 2 million children per year are trafficked in the sex trade, children. And Habakkuk is looking around at all of this injustice and all of the violence, and he's saying, God, I'm crying out to you. How long am I going to have to cry out to you before you will do something about this? I know that you are a good God and a gracious God, so why do you tolerate wrongdoing in the world? Have you ever thought that way? Let's look at how the Lord responds to Habakkuk. Verse 5 of chapter 1, the Lord says this, look at the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. So Habakkuk says, Lord, how long am I going to have to cry out to you? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing in the world? And God says, Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch. I am going to do something in, in your days uh, that will amaze you. And if I were to tell you what my plan was, you wouldn't even believe me. And God tells him that he's going to raise up this nation of Babylon. The Babylonians are going to come and be God's judgment on the people of Judah. And Habakkuk was probably okay with this, uh, with that first part about God saying, uh, I have a plan and the plan is unfolding. And uh, if I were to tell you what the grand plan was, it would blow your mind. But then God goes on to say, I'm raising up the Babylonians. In those next verses, we see what the Babylonians are like. And I'll just pick a couple uh, of the words that Habakkuk uses to describe them, um, or that the Lord uses to describe them. They're a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Um, it says that they all come intent on violence. They sweep past like the wind and go on, a guilty people whose own strength is their God. See, Babylon is not a righteous nation. Babylon is, a, is an incredibly evil nation. And this is the nation that God is going to raise up to come and be his judgment on the people of Babylon. And this is where we get to Habakkuk's second complaint after he hears uh, what part of God's plan is. Habakkuk says this in uh, chapter 1, verse 12. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet so that he rejoices and is glad. And so we see the main part of Habakkuk's second complaint there in, in verse 13. And it's almost like Habakkuk is saying, God, you didn't answer my first question when I said, why do you tolerate wrongdoing in the world? And God says, I have a plan and I'm raising up the Babylonians who are not a nice people. And Habakkuk comes back and says, but wait a minute, you, I thought you can't look on evil. How on earth could this fit into your plan for you to raise up an even more evil nation? Because we're bad, but we're not that bad. 
How could this fit into your plan for you to raise up an even more evil nation to come and be your judgment on the people that you love? And he says, why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And then the Lord answers his second complaint. This is where we get to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord says this, Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Or the righteous person will live by faith. So Habakkuk asks once again, God, why are you silent while all this wickedness is taking place? And God says, no, Habakkuk, once again, you're thinking in your small picture mind, but I am the God of the big picture. And there's a revelation, but it awaits an appointed time. And though it lingers, wait for it. It will certainly come. But the righteous will live by faith. And, and then in the rest of this chapter, we see these woes. But the woes aren't to the people of Judah. The woes are to the, the nation of Babylon. One of the verses says, The cup of the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. What Habakkuk doesn't realize is after God uses Babylon to, to judge the people of Judah, God will one day judge the wickedness in Babylon. And Habakkuk is only able to see part of the plan, and he's wrestling and wondering how this could possibly fit into the greater plan. And before we go on to chapter 3, I think there are some things that we can take away from these first two chapters. For those of us who are wrestling in the waiting and the wondering, for those of us who are wrestling through the uncertainty or wrestling in the, in the wondering why and, and trying to understand why, uh, why we are on the path that we're on and how uh, this next phase of the road or maybe the part of the road that we're in now, how this could possibly fit in the greater plans of God how this could possibly fit uh, in God's plan to be used not only for his glory, but also for my good. And the first thing I think that we can get from this is that God is working in our waiting. Habakkuk's been asking, Lord, how long am I going to have to cry out to you before you will do something? And in God's first answer, he says, I am doing something. Something is going on. And if I were to tell you the greater plan, you wouldn't even believe me. And even while we're waiting, God's plans are still unfolding, even though we may not be able to see them. And I hope we can be encouraged this morning to know that there is no downtime with God. God does not plan the major events of your life, and then everything in between is filler. But everything is used for God's purposes. Everything that we walk through in life is intended by God for His glory and for our good, even though sometimes we can't see it. We know everything in the natural world happens at the command of God. The scripture tells us that God is the one who fills the clouds with moisture to pour upon the earth. The book of Job tells us that the lightning reports to God. We see from the book of Jonah that God commands a fish to swallow Jonah, right? And then he commands the fish to spit Jonah out onto the shore. And then he commands a plant to grow up over Jonah. And then he commands the worm to come and eat the plant so that it dies. But even more than worms and plants, Isaiah 40 tells us that God calls out each star by name. And by his might and power, not one of them is missing. Everything in our world is orchestrated by God. And not just in the natural world. We know that God works in the hearts of man. Now, the Bible says that in their hearts, man plans their course, but God establishes their steps. 
Proverbs says that the heart of the king is like streams of water in the hands of the Lord that he directs towards those who please him. Everything in our lives happens according to the way God has designed it. And there is no downtime. And even in our waiting, when it seems like nothing is going on, God's plans are still unfolding. If you remember in Mark, uh, there's a story where Jesus is in the bottom of the boat asleep, right? And a big storm comes up and it rocks the boat so much to where the disciples think they're going to die. So they go down and they wake up Jesus and they say, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus comes out onto the boat, and what does he do? He puts his hands out, and he says, peace, be still. And instantly, instantly, there is calm, and there is no more storm. The storm is gone. And today, if we believe in the sovereignty of God, we must believe that the same God who spoke to the storm to calm the storm is the same God who intended the storm to be there to accomplish his purposes. Even in our waiting, God is still working. And every section of the road is intended by God for his purpose, even though we may not be able to see it right now. The second thing I think for us this morning is that God does not share our uncertainty. As finite beings, we, you know, we, we don't see infinite past and infinite future, but God does. And our uncertainties are not God's uncertainties. Our doubts and worries and fears and anxieties about the future, God does not share those. I think we make a huge mistake if we think that God is sitting down right now, putting pencil to paper, writing down the next chapter of your story, or wondering how it's going to play out, or that God is putting paint on the paintbrush to to paint the next section of the canvas. But God is sovereign, and he is outside of time, which means that God stands back, the story's been written, the canvas is done, and God sees the whole picture even though we don't. I love Psalm 139. It's probably one of my favorite psalms, but uh, it's the psalm that says, if I go up to the heights, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. It's the psalm that says, where can I go from your presence and where can I flee from your spirit? Well, in the middle of that psalm, the psalmist says, if I say, surely the, uh, the darkness will overtake me and the day become night around me. Still the darkness is not dark to you, but the night shines like the day where everything is as light to you. Our darkness is not God's darkness. Though even though we might be driving that road, feels like we're driving that road through the night and we can't see the turns and the bends and the hills and valleys, all of that shines like the day before our God. He sees it and he knows it. Not only that, but he created it and he is sustaining it. And Habakkuk is saying, God, I, I don't understand how this could fit into your plan. And God says, There will be an end to this, and though it lingers, wait for it. The righteous will live by faith. See, we can't see the road ahead. That's why it's so important for us to live by faith. And maybe today you're wrestling through the times of uh, maybe not even uncertainty about the future, but just wondering why you are where you are right now or wondering why the things that have happened in your life have happened and wrestling with the, the not knowing why and not understanding how God could use those things for some kind of greater good. See, when am I most prone uh, to, to resist? When am I most prone to be anxious and fearful? When am I most prone to seek guidance somewhere else? It's when I don't understand something, isn't it? I remember uh, when I was younger, not super young, but slightly older than super young, um, I remember the tears that 
flowed over my math homework. I don't know if any of you have been there. You're probably all good at math. Uh, but I just didn't get it. I didn't understand it. And it just caused so much inner turmoil for me as a youngish child. Uh, just wrestling with that, not being able to understand. And I think if you were to put that math back in front of me uh, again today, then the tears would probably return. But even greater than the anxieties over math homework, how about the tears that we shed when losing a loved one? How about the tears that we shed when we just, we just don't understand why tragedies here on this earth take place? How about the times when we wrestle through that when we only see a small part of the picture, how about those times? And what we see from Habakkuk here is that we're not always going to understand, but we can live by faith. We're not always going to understand uh, what goes on in our lives. And the beauty of it is, is that we don't have to, because God knows. God knows that we won't understand everything. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 Say, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. See, the Lord knows we're not going to understand everything. But you know what he says? He says, if you will trust in me, if you will not lean on what you think you understand or what little understanding you have, if you will not lean on that and you will trust entirely in me, then I am the one who is going to make the path straight before you. I think oftentimes when those tragedies happen in our lives, then we realize how little we actually understand. We realize how, how much we really we don't understand why the things happen the way they do. And God says, will you trust me to know that though you only see part of the picture, I see the big picture. And though you won't always understand, you can live by faith. And that same message that he gave Habakkuk, where he says, the righteous will live by faith, is the same message that he gives us today. Because that same message that he told Habakkuk, where he says, uh, there is a, says, there is a revelation that awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It speaks of the end of all of this injustice and all of this wondering and waiting. It awaits an appointed time. It will not prove false. And though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. Why is it so important that we persevere in faith today? And I'd like us to, to flip over to Hebrews chapter 10 uh, very quickly, because in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, the writer of Hebrews says this about it, why we need to persevere in faith. He says in verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. If we will persevere in faith, even through the not understanding when we have done the will of God, we will receive what he has promised to us. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 37, he says, For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Does that sound familiar? That's because he's quoting Habakkuk. See, what, what Habakkuk didn't realize is that the message that, that the writer of Hebrews is giving us, the same message that God gave Habakkuk, because that it in Habakkuk, it says, uh, Though it linger, wait for it it will certainly come. That's the, that can also be translated as he. So the same thing that the writer of Hebrews is telling us is the same thing that God told Habakkuk, that there will be an end to all the injustice when he who is coming comes. And we persevere in faith because when he does, we will receive what he has promised. If we go on to verse 38, it says, And, but my righteous one will live by faith. 
And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. That's also from the book of Habakkuk. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And if we will persevere in faith, then here, right now, in this life, right now in these moments, we can have confidence that what we're hoping in won't let us down. But it begs the question, what are you hoping in? Because I think we're conditioned to hope in a lot of things. I hope I get this promotion. I hope that, uh, that this will happen for my family. I hope that this will happen for my bank account. I hope that uh, this will happen and, and this will happen. What happens if we have a misplaced hope? When we get to those places in life, to where those things that we're hoping for, when we don't get those, then what happens? We say, God, why? Why would you not give me this? When instead these verses are telling us we're going to persevere in faith, we need to fix our hope on something that is going to last. We need to fix our hope on the only thing worthy of our hope, the only thing that is eternal, and it's the one who is coming, because when he comes, everything will be made right. First Peter says, set your hope on the grace to be brought when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. How do we persevere in faith when we don't know the road ahead, when we can't see the next steps, when we can't see where the hills and valleys are going to be? It's by fixing our eyes on Christ. It's by fixing our eyes on a lasting hope so that right now we can live with faith, confident that that hope will never let us down no matter what we might face in this life. And even through the wrestling and the waiting and the uncertainty and, and the not understanding why we go through the things that we go through in life, we can have a hope that will hold us up. And this is where we get to Habakkuk's response, which I think is so important for us, and a response that we should emulate as we think about how to live a life filled with hope when we don't know what the journey is going to look like. So if we go back to the book of Habakkuk, we find ourselves in chapter 3. And Habakkuk's response is simply falling to his knees in worship and prayer and surrender. And he says this in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then he goes on for the next few verses to to recount some of the things that the Lord has done. And we pick up again halfway through verse 16. He says, Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come upon the nation invading us. Habakkuk says, God, I don't, I don't understand how this fits into the greater plan, but I will wait patiently for what you've promised to take place. I will wait patiently uh, for the end to come. And he says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He enables my feet, or he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. You see what Habakkuk is saying here? Though the, though the fig tree does not bud, though the olive crop fails, though there are no grapes on the vine and the fields produce no food, Though there are no um, cattle in the pen or, or uh, sheep in the stalls. He's saying, though, though everything that brings my life stability might crumble 
and go away. Though everything in this world that I might be able to count on is gone, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, because it is the sovereign Lord who is my strength. And He's the one who enables me to tread on the heights. He's the one who keeps my feet from slipping on this journey of life. And I pray that Habakkuk's response would be our response today. That rather than, than wrestle and question and, and, uh, and just get anxious about the uncertainty of the future and with not being able to understand, that we just turn to God and say, God, I trust you. I trust you with the road ahead. I trust you through all the times of uncertainty. And though my life may not look right now the way that I envisioned it in my head, though my life right now, it might not seem like I'm prospering or, God, it might not seem to me like you are even doing anything in my life. I'm going to trust that even while I'm waiting, you are still working. I'm going to trust that even though I don't know what's going on, you know what's going on. And I'm going to trust that even though I don't understand how these trials could possibly fit into your greater plan. I'm going to trust that one day, when he who is coming comes, that I will receive what you have promised, which is that all of that injustice and all of that pain and all of that strife and all that conflict is one day going to be banished forever in the presence of God, and we will spend eternity with him. And so our response, I think, is simple. And it's daily surrender to God's plan. And maybe for you that looks like waking up each morning and just saying a simple prayer. Maybe it's this same prayer from the book of Habakkuk that Habakkuk prays. You say, God, no matter what happens today, I believe that there's a greater plan unfolding before me even though I don't see it. Charles Spurgeon uh, once said that, um, that God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken and when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Sometimes I think when we can't see what God is doing in our lives, it causes us to distance ourselves from God when we don't understand. And I would encourage you this morning that if you're walking through that time, now more than ever maybe, it's important that you press into the heart of God. Because though we, we may not be able to see what he's doing in the world, and we may not be able to see what he's doing around us, what we do know is his heart for us. We see it in his word. We know that God is love. We know that he is faithful and kind. We know that his plans are for his glory, but also for our good. And that though we can't see the road ahead, we can press into his, into his heart knowing that he is the one who is upholding us. And so I pray today that we wouldn't get overcome with the worries of this life, that we wouldn't get overcome with not being able to see the road before us. Maybe we will get overcome just with faith and trust and knowing that God is the one who is going to establish our steps today. And today, if you are wrestling with the waiting. Maybe just pray and ask God to give you patience and to give you faith that he is doing something even though it doesn't seem like he is. Maybe today if you're wrestling through the uncertainty of the future and not knowing what the future holds and the anxiety that comes along with that, maybe you just pray and ask God for peace and knowing that it's all in his hands and that he is the one who knows the road ahead and he 
He is sustaining us on this road ahead, and He will until the day that He comes. And maybe today you're just wrestling with that why question. God, I don't understand. I don't understand these small, in my small picture, in my small picture mind, because I don't see everything that you do. I'm having trouble understanding how this could fit into your greater plan. Maybe today you just ask the Lord to, to help you trust, to help you release those things into His hands. Maybe you ask the Lord to strengthen your faith today that He won't let your foot slip and that He will enable you to tread on the heights as Habakkuk prayed. Well, let's go ahead and and close in prayer. God, we're so thankful today that You are sovereign and that even though we don't understand the things that we walk through in life, that You have told us that that we don't have to, but we can trust it all to you and not lean on our own understanding. God, help us in all of our ways to acknowledge you and trust that you are the one who will make the path straight before us. God, I pray for those who are wrestling in the waiting right now, maybe feeling like nothing is going on. Help them to remember that there is a plan unfolding. And though it lingers, we can live by faith and wait for it. Help us to set our hope on Christ and Christ alone. God, I pray for those who are battling with uncertainty, maybe wrestling with what the future holds for them, what that road ahead looks like, and wondering how they can live with hope when maybe it doesn't look good to them. God, help them rest, to give them patience and peace. Help them to seek you first and know that everything else will fall into place from there. God, I pray for those who maybe are wrestling with not understanding this morning and maybe just questioning why the things happen that that happen in their life. God, I pray that you would reassure them today and that you would strengthen their faith To know that we can have confidence that if we will place our hope in Jesus, that nothing that goes on here in this world could shake us. Instead, that all of it is in your hands, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are standing at the beginning, you are standing at the end, and you are holding it all. You are holding the breath of time in your hands, God. God, help us to trust you. It's the name of Jesus that we ask all these things. Amen.